entrepreneurs will save the world. We chat with successful entrepreneurs who share their journey and the lessons learned along the way. The Add Value to Entrepreneurs podcast is edutaining, leaving you with actionable advice to transform your life and create a thriving business that aligns with your values and goals. Our conversations are for entrepreneurs who want more freedom and fulfillment from their work so they can live the life they desire. We focus on the mindset shifts entrepreneurs make to increase their influence and impact in the world. It's time for you to add value. This episode is brought to you by Perfect Publishing. Perfect Publishing is a different approach to publishing a book. Perfect Publishing is sharing a project of hope called The Dose of Hope. We carefully chose heroes of hope who exemplify living a life they created through faith, hope, patience, and persistence. No matter what page you open to in this mini cube of hope, you will find a leader with a big heart. You will see you are not alone. The authors may share similar challenges that only hope and action could resolve. Get your free ebook at addvalue2life.com slash dose. Addvalue2life.com slash dose. Our guest today is Chris Johnson. Never trust a business lawyer who doesn't understand business. When you're ready to launch a company, you could seek out just any business lawyer, or you could partner with a lawyer who will get down in the entrepreneurial trenches with you. Someone who's built multiple companies from the ground up across multiple industries with big law experience. That person is Chris Johnson. The first business he ever built and successfully sold paid his way through law school. That was more than a decade ago. He's learned a lot along the way, tapping into strategies that pass true value onto his clients. Starting and running a business is roll up your sleeves, tough work. Having airtight legal counsel from a proven entrepreneur who's walked the walk will help you sleep better. Chris Johnson and Robert discuss the compound value of relationships and viewing relationships as an investment. Side hustles are good and most everyone should have one. The entrepreneurs break away from the employee paternal mindset and find freedom where they thought security was a priority. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining me. I'm looking forward to uh, learning some more about the law. I think, I think you're one of the first lawyers. I have like four lawyers coming up on the, on the show, and so I think you might be one of the first. And so we'll, uh, we'll see how entrepreneurship and the legal <laughs> field cross over. All right. Well, first of all, I'm sorry you've got so many lawyer guests coming on. So hopefully I can be one of the interesting ones. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it is interesting. So typically I let everyone share their own entrepreneurial journey. And I know obviously as a, as a lawyer, I don't know that all lawyers would consider themselves entrepreneurs and, and maybe not all lawyers are. I know that you are and you've created uh, something unique in, in your field. And so all right, so that's a good segue. And since I dissed on attorneys in the very beginning, let me just say I'm the first attorney in my family. I really particularly don't like lawyers. I intentionally married a non-lawyer. I really don't have many lawyer friends. My family hates lawyers. My dad always hated lawyers. So why did I become a lawyer? We, I was in real estate and I used real estate attorneys um, in our business that I worked in with my father where we redeveloped strip centers. And so through that experience, I saw that it was a good skill to have. And so I've always been, you know, pretty good at school. And I decided, you know, I'm going to continue my education and this would be where I'd go. And I had no intention of really practicing law full time. I more wanted to go back into real estate. But by the time 
I graduated, it was 2008. So it wasn't the best time to go back into real estate. It was probably a better time to go into the law. So then I began my journey through the traditional law firms and the whole partner deal. And I made partner, um, but I've always been an entrepreneurial soul. And part of the reason I left big law was so that I could focus on um, creating my own businesses again. So today I have my own law firm, I own an e-commerce company and I own a title company and I've got, you know, investments that I deploy, you know, just like everyone else. Um, but I have time to focus on those entrepreneurial things that I like. So definitely I am an entrepreneur business person first and a lawyer second. Nice. So let's talk a little bit about that, your law firm and, and how you focus or how you I mean, obviously, your your desire was to work in real estate, um, but but now you're doing um, e law, right? Or, or you know, law services that that not not people aren't necessarily in the same state or same place. Or um, sure, let me let me virtual. let me go into virtual. That's the word I'm looking for. <laughs> <laughs> Very good, Robert. Well, let, let me let me uh, go into that for you. So here here's the thing. We've, we've been virtual for a really long time. So when I was in big law and I worked on cases throughout the country, deals throughout the country, I had teams of associates in different parts of the country. They never flew in to meet with me in a conference room. My clients didn't fly in from Pennsylvania just to meet with me to go over something. We worked on the phone. You know, maybe we do things on Zoom now, but to me, I don't see that any different than the phone or email or any other technology that allows people to work remotely. I just happened to go into an office to get my work done back then. Um, but I built my firm even before COVID, even before you know people had this whole remote work thing. I you know realized how unnecessary it is for the practice of law in most instances to be confined to an office in a downtown setting. And in fact, I viewed that as an immense waste of money. Um, so that was one of the first things that I decided needed to go. Now, you know, I had this corner office overlooking this beautiful area in downtown. It was quite, quite prestigious and it was fun for some time. Had a little sitting area for my clients and everything. I think I had a client come in once a year and use that space. So when I built my office, I built it around virtual first. I knew that attorneys truly wanted to work from home. I also knew that big law lost a lot of talent from people like, say, um, new mothers that would like to work from home and no longer want to come downtown. And they were just leaving the model just wasn't working for them. And they were some of the best attorneys I've ever worked with. And so I created a, you know, you can work from home. And in most instances, attorneys can work remotely. There, there's very few times that we actually have to come into an office. And yes, we still do court and things like that. So that is the virtual law firm model that I created. And that's just one of the, one of the things that I did differently. There's other things as well. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about building your business. And obviously lawyers build a, a business, build a book of business in a, in a similar way as maybe insurance or, you know, other services that, that serve individuals. 
how how important was connection and and what were some of the effective ways for building an audience generating a you know a group of leads okay um right okay so let me let me first of all not directly answer the question, but I'll just say, I'm gonna address the challenge and then I'm gonna go answer the question. So the challenge with lawyers, as with many professions is time. You know, when do I have time? I'm already working 50, 60 hours a week. I've got a family at home. You know, how can I spend any time doing this? And there were many nights, you know, that I would I would go to an event at six or seven o'clock and not, not get home till nine o'clock. Um, you know, I, I've never pulled an all nighter at work. Uh, it was never really just the work work that I was so busy at. I, I left at a reasonable time. I left at like six o'clock every day, but I did a lot of networking. Um, and I did it cause I knew that it was necessary. Um, and so I did it early on and, and I don't, I don't know how to tell people other than I just did it. People say, how do you make more time? Just made time. I just did it. Um, now, the thing with networking, the thing with connections, and um, it, I, so I'm a finance major, finance and real estate. So, I, so I, I tend to think of, about a lot of things like investments, and I think relationships and networking are like um, investing, um, and you're like time weight averaging into an investment. You're just putting a little bit into your investment, into your 401k over time. And then those investments are paying dividends and then the dividends are compounding and it's growing and it's growing and it's growing. So business development, developing connections and networking, I, I'm not going to ever, and I never was under the illusion that I'm going to walk into some meeting and be like, ta-da, here I am. I'm so wonderful. Just send me your business. You know, the real world doesn't work like that. I need to um, be consistent. I need to be genuine and authentic. Uh, one of the things that was conveyed to me early on by some of my mentors is, is pick something you actually like doing. Because if you're, if you're going and you don't like it, people are going to sniff that out immediately. And it's going to reflect on your professional capabilities. Um, so I've always done things that I've liked, that I've enjoyed, put time into um, and been very strategic with how I spent my time because my time is very valuable. Um, and I will actually, <laughs> earlier this week, I just made a list of all the commitments, all the things that I do. And I, I killed two things from, I haven't dropped them yet, but I'm going to drop them later this year because I evaluate all the time how valuable um, you know, my return on time is, you know, what kind of return on time I'm getting on my investments. I like that return on time. That's, that's, that's pretty unique. You mentioned um, authenticity. Uh, so how important is character and the ability to be authentic as, as a legal entrepreneur? Oh, I mean, super, super important. It should be super important for everyone. I think, um, especially for lawyers, I think we're pretty good at this. I, I don't think lawyers are really full of it in the sense that they're like lying or trying to scam. They're full of it. They're egos, right? I'll give them that. Um, but not of like faking it. Right. I think we're pretty good at like, you know, you see is what you get, you know, this is it. Cause that's, we need to be very predictable, um, for our clients. Um, as far as being authentic for other people, I mean, 
here's the good thing. I, I've always been pretty good at reading people. Pretty good. And I'm not saying that I haven't made mistakes, um, but the business world is dangerous. The real estate world was also was always dangerous. The business world was dangerous, and there are a lot of people that that are full of it. Fortunately, I'm. I've always been an introvert. Um, I've always analyzed. I've always listened. I've always looked. I've always paid attention. Um, so I'm constantly judging others. And I don't mean that in a bad sense, because um, I judge people, their character in a good sense. Um, but I'm constantly evaluating to determine whether that's someone that I want in my circle, because trust is so important for me. I, I don't have enough time in the day to be second guessing what everyone is telling me. <laughs> I need to believe what they tell me and just go with it and have um, good relationships. There's plenty of people out there, like, trust me, plenty, plenty of opportunities, plenty of people. I don't need to work with anyone that doesn't have good character. Oh, so valuable. So the other thing you mentioned, and now you just mentioned it again in regards to relationship, um, in regards to your time was creating boundaries and and holding to to your boundary. And you, you mentioned eliminating a couple events. And now you just mentioned creating boundaries around the people that you choose to, to hang around. So let's let's talk about the value of of boundaries and protecting those things that are that are non-negotiables for you. Can you elaborate on that? So we you asked about boundaries. You want to know how I use them in the professional setting? Um, I mean, both. You know what? I mean, obviously, you know, protecting your time is a choice to protect, you know, your family, right? Or design your business around your family. Okay, right? I understand. I, under, I understand. Okay. Um, yeah, absolutely. I have to realize what my priorities are in life. Um, and so I have kind of four main things that I focus on as priorities that I really visualize. And those are health. That's like my personal health. That's money. Also business is related to that. And then family and spirituality. Mm -hmm. So I need to create barrier uh, boundaries around each of those things. Um, so for health, the boundary is I go to the gym pretty much every day for about an hour. So that's how I take care of myself. I also take my dog for walks. That's that's also how I take care of myself. If I don't take care of myself, then I can't take care of anybody else. So I have to protect that. And and I can't, and I've never let people around me that want to encroach on that. So my, my wife has never tried to encroach on that. She lets me have that, right? She respects that boundary because that's who I am and that's what I need for myself. Um, and then also time around family, time around spirituality for me, um, and then time around money, money and business and the things that I need, need to do there. So, so for me, unfortunately, that's just kind of my personality. I'm, um, I'm pretty good at uh, analyzing, being analytical about things and compartmentalizing things. So I put things in, in buckets and I really just schedule them out. And when something goes on my schedule, and I don't literally put everything on my calendar because I don't need to, but I do tell some of my employees, I'm like, you just put it on your calendar, like two hours gym, two hours business development, you know, two hours this. And I said, and you cannot let anything interfere with that. I don't care what it is. I don't care if it's client work. I don't care. Once it goes on the calendar, you have to do it. And again, I don't do that because I just kind of do it in my head. I have a system where 
essentially I keep my Fridays open and I do some of these things on my own naturally. Um, but it's important. And once it gets on the schedule, you do it. And that's just a matter of discipline. And I think discipline translates into setting boundaries and not being pulled a hundred different directions all the time. Well, exactly. I think knowing what's important, knowing, you know, knowing what, what, what things you value, what you want to protect, that allows you to make those choices to be disciplined in those areas when it comes to your calendar, right? And if you don't have those values or you don't know what your values are, then, you know, you're blown about <laughs> by the wind. Yeah, you don't, you don't even have a map to travel by at that point. Absolutely. So let's let's talk about the, the, the crossover now from, you know, you've built a law firm. Now you also have, you know, the title company, which is back into, into real estate. And, and of course, you, you mentioned an e-commerce company, the ability to diversify and have, have these different yeah. um, streams of income. And this is something that I preach to my attorneys. I think side hustles are good things. And I'm not a millennial. I am on the verge of being a millennial, but I'm not. <laughs> but 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 I but I do think side hustles are good things. And I and I, and I hear in the workforce, and I think it's mainly from a management perspective and an old traditional model where we need people to be here 40 hours a week and be devoted, and they don't have the discipline to work on anything else. We, from a management perspective, still don't like it. I think it's good for my attorneys. That's part of my whole model, is that. You have a more flexible schedule. You get paid more per hour of the time that you spend, not so you can work more, but that you can diversify, like you said. You can build different streams of income. You can go into real estate. You can get your crypto portfolio up. You can develop another business. I believe that makes us better attorneys, better professionals. And quite frankly, it's what I do. So I would be a hypocrite to to preach or push anything else because that that is what I do with my time. And especially passive investments are important. I have to be really picky. I have to set boundaries around the types of investments that I make because I do have two act very active operational businesses. And I really can't handle much more than that, even with support staff. So, but I can handle passive investments, but I got to make sure that they're passive. Um, and that's a great way to to build wealth. Absolutely. You mentioned something really kind of cool in there that uh, that I think corporate hasn't figured out yet. And had a conversation with with another guest friend, and he's he's an Excel specialist, and and he gets fired from every job because he goes in it and and he optimizes their systems, right? So <laughs> their, their other employees are taking 10 hours to do these spreadsheets and yeah. he, does them, he does them in two. And yeah. then he's like, wait a minute, you're paying those people 10 hours. And you want me to use these other eight hours to do more stuff for you. And, and so he obviously never has a good attitude when it comes to the corporate environment because corporate doesn't reward him for his, you know, performance and doesn't reward him for doing it five yeah. times faster than everybody else. And so there's a challenge in that in that model of you need to be here sitting in your seat for, for 40 hours when you know, A, they're not productive for 40 hours and B, it doesn't reward you to you know incentivize you to, to get more work done in, in a shorter period of time. 
because we're not paying by the piece or we're not paying by, you know, by the project. And, and I think corporate is going to have to make some changes in, in yeah. allow those kinds of things. And I don't just blame corporate. So you said, so you said pay by the piece, whatever. Remember too, we have wage laws. So, you know, we came up with these wage laws when people were put in a factory, you know, perhaps under harsh conditions. I read the jungle by Upton Sinclair, all that stuff. Um, you know, people needed breaks, people needed to be sure that they were given overtime, people were paid by the hour, because that's just the way they did it. So one of the ways my firm is different and can do do it the way things the way we do is because we pay based on production, we don't pay a set amount. So when you're locked into paying someone a salary, you know, for 40 hours a week, of course, you're going to be jealous about their time. Um, so when you can move to more of what you said, a buy the piece, if you can measure the output and pay the employees per output, and I'm not saying that's easy, especially with some things, um, then we can move towards an environment where they're paid more like an independent contractor, they're paid more on their production, which could be a lot, it could be a little, it gives them flexibility to do other things. It doesn't hurt the company as much, but you have a lot of pieces there. And the two main obstacles are government, surprise, surprise. So we've got, we've got that kind of stuff. But then two is the employee mindset itself. Mm. And that is a huge obstacle because all this stuff sounds hunky-dory, right? Until you tell someone you are going to get paid based on your output and your hustle. And they're like, what? I, I don't get a guarantee in life. I don't get a guaranteed salary. And they don't like, most people don't like that either. Um, and so that's another big obstacle is getting past that employee mindset, which the employee mindset really is this paternal mindset. It's like, you know, I'm going to have the company take care of me, guarantee me. But look, salary is all an illusion anyway. I mean, tell me how many people aren't at-will employees. <laughs> Anyone could be fired in an instant anyway. So the salary really doesn't mean anything. Well, there's certainly not the security there was prior to the 70s, right? Where, oh, yeah, for you know, sure. Our, grand, our grandfathers worked for the same company for 30 plus years and, you know, retired with the, the silver watch and the, and the, you know, the, the golden note and and their loyalty was you know hey my son should work for the company too and and his son and 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 there was just this this corporate loyalty that is and cool they, <clears throat> i wish i wish i had that that's very cool <laughs> well but but you know obviously the stock market and the switch to to ceos you know trying to manipulate finances you know and pink slips and all those things in the 70s and 80s you know that all went went away and I think there's some people that still feel, you know, some loyalty to their company. But I wonder if it's if it's that fear of the, you know, the unknown, right? That that paternal mindset, which is why so many don't yet jump into the entrepreneurial space because there's so much more freedom in the entrepreneurial space to serve people, get paid for output, right? Get paid for what you accomplish for somebody or how you help them or how you serve them versus this idea of just sitting behind a desk and collecting a salary. Yeah. I, um, I'm not like a huge philosophy person, right? I said I majored in finance and real estate. I'm very like numbers, business, legal type, not philosophy at all. But, you know, I, I, 
I have started learning about it, like on my on my spare time on walks and things like that. And so through listening to this podcast, um, I learned about this reading called the uh, What is Enlightenment by Immanuel Kant. Okay. And it, and it talks about this. It's it's like, it's a beautiful reading and it. And so, yes, when you become an entrepreneur, you have to count on yourself. And this whole dependency comes from us being kids, right? It's easier to be a kid and just say, oh, okay, dad, you know, it sucks when they tell us dinners at six, but you know what? It's kind of nice because we don't have anything to do. We don't have to make dinner. We're not responsible for dinner. We don't have to clean up for dinner. So in a sense, it's way easier just to show up at six o'clock, eat, and then run off and play. Um, And the whole thing in that reading about enlightenment is we really take responsibility for all our decisions. And that's, it's like scary. It is scary, but it, but it's so worthwhile, right? So that's part of the enlightenment. Um, worthwhile things are are typically hard well they should be (laughs) yeah i mean i think it's the process right going through the process is is where the growth occurs right and and if it was easy then you know obviously everybody would just you know jump ship and and do it and and we need people in in every every one of these spaces right Mm -hmm. we're doing the things that they're doing but that's that's a so the child thing comes up a lot for me. I from a mindset space, I love you know the mind of a child and as an entrepreneur trying to get back to that creative, that imagination, the the dream, the, the idea that anything is possible. And so you've just added another element to that, the the paternal. And I wonder if it's easier to be a kid because they don't have the decision fatigue. Yeah. Of an adult. Yeah, yeah. Decision fatigue is real, isn't it? Right. Especially in our society. I mean, that's why my wife and I didn't build a house because we were talking about it and we're just, we both were honest with ourselves and we're like, we just don't want to pick out all that stuff. There's just too many decisions. <laughs> that's stressful for us. We will be right back after this short break. This episode is sponsored by the newly released book, Dream Life Planner Move from Tired and Overwhelmed to Free and Empowered by Noelle L. Peterson available on Amazon, or you can order a personalized signed copy at empower, E-M-P-O-W-E-R, to dream.com. That's empower, number two, dream.com. If you enjoy the show, please like and subscribe, leave a review, tell your friends. Welcome back. Let's get back to more greatness. That's stressful for us. Um, so yeah, decision fatigue is super real. We have so many choices, unlimited cat. That's what capitalism gave us is infinite choices. And in a sense, it could be very, very detrimental. <laughs> Absolutely. I think, <laughs> so, so I've had the opportunity to travel an awful lot. And when I take people to Africa and I just tell them, look, you're going to eat the same meal every day, twice, <laughs> yeah. at least twice a day for the, for the duration of our trip. And I would take Girl Scout cookies so that on the end of the week, I'd give everybody the Girl Scout cookies just to break the, the monotony because we are we are spoiled rotten when it comes mm-hmm. to decisions regarding food. Mm-hmm. And and we have this plethora of options yeah. <laughs> that, that that most people in the world do, do not have. They eat, uh, you know, they typically they're kind of like our dog. You get fed the same thing every day, all the time. Yeah. And so it's uh 
yeah, I think decision fatigue is, and and being able to be intentional about which decisions can I avoid, right? Which decisions can I pre prepare for and and set up so that I avoid making some of those extra decisions um, in a day, so that I'm my mind is better, you know, for the big decisions and the things that I know I need to make, you know, good solid decisions on. Mm-hmm. I love that you gave up like we're not going to build a house because that's just way too many decisions. <laughs> no, because we know ourselves and we don't have to push ourselves to the limit. We don't have to intentionally stress ourselves out, you know, and we know that there's some things we just don't like doing. And yeah, having a brand new house is super cool for some people. And I'd be idea that's all right. But then we know that there's a lot of work that goes into it. We just don't want to mess with it. <laughs> so let, let's dig a little deeper on that, that kind of idea of, I mean, that's obviously another boundary kind of choice, right? Knowing, knowing yourself and, Mm -hmm. but the ability to design your business around your life, the ability to Mm -hmm. build a business. I mean, you mentioned, you know, you, you've got two pretty intense businesses that require your involvement and now your other things are kind of passive, but you get to choose the lifestyle that you want to have. And and you and your wife Mm -hmm. have, have chosen a certain lifestyle and now you can, literally design and mold your businesses around Mm -hmm. that. Yep. Yep. And I guess life design has become this term. Maybe, maybe it's been around for a while, um, but I just heard it maybe about a month ago and it, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, yeah. Why, why be passive and just, you know, let, let those decisions happen for you. We, we all need to design the lives that we want because this is our life. You know, I I don't have much time on this earth, so I need to be intentional about the way that I design it. Absolutely. But most people don't recognize that they have that level of control. Right. Yeah, you're right. They don't. And, you know, I think that's some of the benefit of the younger generations is they seem to be taking control earlier and and doing what they want to do now. And, that, and that's part of what I, re- what I decided when I, when I left the firm, I went in house for a while and I also like formed my law firm at the time. But I was like, if I'm waiting to like this retirement thing to do what I want to do in life, that's like a false, pro- <laughs> that's a false promise. So um, I can get hit by a bus. That, that too. <laughs> but why do I have to wait? Till, till I'm older. I don't, under, I don't understand that. It really is not a rational thought. Why can't I just do what I want to do with life right now and be happy with my life right now? You know, and I really made a decision to do that. And yeah, there's some design elements that you have to do, especially if you're at a job that's killing you. I mean, I, you look, I had a job, I was working my ass off traveling all over the country. Um, I decided to make a change, um, do something different. And and starting my own business was very scary. I think back to that time. So I don't want to discount that at all. And it was stressful on my wife too, who doesn't like change. Um, she was supportive, but she was kind of freaked out at the time. And, and I was worried too. So I don't want to discount that. I think back to that time, I just had to just like making time for myself, I just got to do it. You know, when you're like standing on the uh, on the edge of a cliff, looking down at the ocean, you're scared to jump into the water. You just just can't think about it. You just got to do it. <laughs> there there are some leaps that, that that are necessary, right? 
and you can only plan so much. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. And I think corporate America builds that fear into us, you know, through that security, through, you know, the good pay, the good benefits, all those things. We become very risk averse over over time to doing those things. Well, and then I think our family and friends play into that risk aversion, right? And and it's typically out of protection mode, right? Our parents are like, "Oh, this is that's a good thing, right? You, you, you know, you're saving for retirement, and you're paying the house payment, and right. <laughs> you're doing all those things that are good. Don't don't do something crazy." <laughs> right, right. My wife kind of said it was like my midlife crisis, which I was in my mid thirties, I think at that point, but I've always been an old soul. So maybe it was my midlife crisis. And and I didn't even argue with her. I just said, look, it could be worse, right? I could be chasing girls and buying sports cars. I mean, <laughs> so if, this, if this is my midlife crisis, I'll take it. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. All right. You mentioned your wife a few times. Love to ask, what was your favorite date? Oh my Lord. Okay. Uh, favorite date slash trip was to this place called Ojo Calientes in New Mexico, probably halfway between Santa Fe and Taos. Um, I guess the skiers in Taos will come down to this place after they're done skiing. There's different types of hot springs that have different medicinal properties. Um, they also have a mud bath. They've got massages. Um, and I love this. I think my wife loved it too. She always talks about it, but but she didn't like it as much at the time. It's whisper only. So it's very like quiet place, very chill. Uh, it's just beautiful. We went on hikes, you know, now, now that you mentioned that I need to bring her back there because it, it was such a good time. Nice. Whisper only. I've never, that, that, that's the first time I've ever heard that term. <laughs> yeah, she, she wasn't into it too much. Yeah, I mean, no kids allowed. Whisper only. They want to create this whole atmosphere. Uh, that's which, pretty awesome. Which I did. It's an awesome place. All right, so you mentioned a few things, walking your dog and other things you love to do. What do you love to do in your free time? Oh, I'm mostly an outdoors person, so I really like the outdoors. So you know, walks, hikes, fishing, hunting, boating, you know, all the sports associated with boating. I mean, a wakeboard, kneeboard. Um, I, I did, a, I've probably logged over a hundred dives and from Southeast Florida from the Fort Lauderdale area. So I love scuba diving, snorkeling, swimming. I mean, you pick it outdoors and I pretty much do it if it's outdoors and, and, um, and activity, that's what I like. Um, and I like to combine those activities with what's important in my life. So pretty much my family. And so I try to get my family to do as much of those things as possible. Nice. That's, that's the best way, right? <laughs> is, is take them along with you. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about mentors. You mentioned your father early on and, and his influence in, in, you know, teaching you and showing you the ropes of, of his business. What other ways of mentors helped in your growth? Um, I think there's mentors for like the occasion and the season um, mostly. And so, so I like to have very tailored mentors. So I, I, I don't think in my life there's ever been like one person, right. That, that I've gone to for, for everything. 
so after my father passed away, you know, there were mentors that helped me kind of get out, out of that depression, out of that shell, back into my personal life. Um, that I, I'm eternally grateful to those people, o older men that really kind of helped me. Um, and then, you know, when I was at the law firm, there's like, you know, there's mentors in the firm. And then there's mentors out of the firm, right? <laughs> you don't want to talk to the people in the firm about everything. And that's what I talk about with these topics. And then today I have mentors for investments. I've got mentors for operational stuff. These people don't know they're my mentors, by the way. Uh, that term mentor is weird to me. Do other? I wonder if other people like formally ask them, like, will you be my mentor? Because I've never really done that. I've just developed friendships and... I ask them questions and lean on them for certain things in certain areas at certain times. And I, I consider them to mentor and help me, but I've never really labeled them with the title. You tell me, Robert, is that what, what normal people do? Do they go around saying, will you be my mentor? <laughs> I, I think there, there might be a combination of the two, right? Okay. I like, I like how you mentioned intentional, right? There there's intentional mentors that you're, you know, I need specific help in, in this area, but, but it's based on my relationships. It's based on creating a relationship with somebody who's gone before. And, and then they, they're my friend and I can call them up and say, Hey, what, what would you do? Or, right. or what, what should I do? Right. <laughs> what, what questions do I need to ask? Cause I'm, I'm obviously not getting the answer I'm, I'm looking for here. How do I, you know, how should I approach this? Um, and yeah, so I think all of us definitely have those, the majority, I would say the majority of our mentors and, and mentor relationships are, are what you just called, you know, friendships, but, but you're intentional in those friendships, right? It's not, you know, yeah, I'm not yeah. meeting Bob at the bar and just asking him what, what I need to do to build my business. Right. <laughs> of course not. And back to intentionality. So that's why I met you, Robert, right? Cause I joined a group I was intentional about because I want to associate myself with people that are better than me. <laughs> Absolutely. Right. But there's a lot of people that settle, right. And, and if you're the smartest person in the room, then you're probably in the wrong room. And that's not yeah. to say that we don't have a responsibility to help others that are on the journey. But if, if the main rooms that we're in or the main groups of people you mentioned really early on about, you know, those relationships and, and choosing the people that are around you. And, and I think it can be tempting and maybe it's just those ego, right? It's the ego that says, Oh, I, you know, I can serve these people and I can be in that room and, and help these people and, and, and sets us up to be the, the smartest one in the room or, you know, the most successful in the room or, but being intentional about choosing to be, you know what, I, I need to be the, the smallest guy in this room and and i need to just mm. ask a, a ton of questions and mm. you know, the, the room you mentioned that you and mm. i met in was definitely one of those rooms for me it was like holy smoke this room is full of incredibly smart people doing incredible things you know businesses that i yeah had no idea yeah. right like yeah we yeah. met we met a couple that's that's selling um wigs with <laughs> You know, the the synthetic um, dreads, dreadlocks, synthetic dreads, yeah, a million dollar a year business. 
Yeah, and uh, yeah, she's like right out of high school. I'm like, wow. I wish I wish I built a business like that right out of high school. And then she was in high school when she started it. It's so, but they're so smart. There's they they yeah. did they made good choices and got good people around them, and uh, they, there were a lot. I mean, we we met, I met a guy whose whose primary business is uh, was medicinal things at a nat- natural food stores, and then. And then he makes rifle parts. <laughs> I, I, I suppose that's diversification, right? And yeah, but the room was was full of definitely go getters, right? And and people that are just doing it, doing business at a level like holy yeah. smoke. And so I, it was incredible. I love it. I love it. And can I say something about that, Robert? So Absolutely. I, so I was thinking. So one of my favorite books is called Sapiens. It's an amazing book. And there's this part that really stuck out to me. And the reason I thought about this is because you said, you know, we need to be the dumbest part of the room in the room, dumbest person. But, but here's why I think that's important. That mindset is super important. Not, not all the time, obviously, because we lack all self-confidence, but, but it's good to, to put ourselves in that position um, in this book, they were talking about the exploration of the world, and they showed maps. We talked about maps earlier. And the Europeans, the maps that they had before they started exploring the whole world literally showed Europe and you know their little part of Asia as like the whole world. That's what the map showed as its complete picture. So in their mind, they knew it all, okay? We already know it all. This is what the world looks like. When they really started going out and, and exploring the whole world and traveling the seas, it was like this whole mindset shift in their maps. Their maps had changed. They, no longer did they know it all. Their maps reflected, had like question marks, gray areas, what's next? Like what's on the other side of that? So that mindset shift, I think is super important because if we think we know it all, then then we're not going to learn anymore. If if we recognize that we don't know it all and surround ourselves with you know people that are, that'll just lift us up and teach us more, that's when we experience true development. Well, and the challenge I think for a lot of people is their brain says, "Oh, I heard that," and "Oh, I oh I know that," or we we read the book and say, "Oh yeah, that's true." Hmm. But we skip the application and the brain simply just justifies that, oh, yeah, that that's true. Oh, yeah, we know that. Mm. Rather than taking it and say, oh, yeah, I mm. do know that. Why why haven't I done anything with it? Yeah, right. That's the challenge. That's the hard part is I think our brain has this natural tendency, just like those maps, to say, oh, I know that. Oh, yeah, that's mm. true. Right. And I know that it's true, but it has had no impact on my life. I've made no changes into my decision making or my actions because my brain just simply said, oh, that's true. And check the box and and skips right over all the rest of it. Right. I can be in a room mm-hmm. listening to John Maxwell and I agree with everything John says because he's amazing. But yet there's some really important stuff in there that I need to take action on to change my life for the better. Oh, the, the action's the hardest part. <laughs> <laughs> all all behavioral changes, though, right? With these self help books, the Maxwell, all these steps, it's all genius stuff. It's always the action part, but that all goes back to like super simple stuff, like 
go like losing weight that everyone has issues with, right? How you you could set forth the John Maxwell seven steps of living, you know, eat diet, exercise, whatever, and it sounds amazing and beautiful, and then no one ever does it. Well, why? Because because that's human nature, I guess. <laughs> but but it, it really is the difference between the people that get stuff done and the people that don't, right? It's, yeah, is that you, you've made a choice that says, okay, I know this is true, and then here's how I'm going to set up my day to do something different mm -hmm. about it. And, mm -hmm. and you're intentional about putting it on the calendar. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and, and I think that it's a mindset shift that you talked about that they made a mindset shift about the maps and recognized. We know there's a bunch of people that were stuck on, Ooh, Europe's the center. We're the center of the world. Mm -hmm. The same thing happened with Copernicus and, and, mm -hmm. and the stars, right? We realized these planets don't revolve around the earth and everybody's like, Oh, that can't be right. That egocentric mm. was still such a, an important thing. Mm. And I think when we can get over our ego and recognize, Hey, I don't want to be the smartest person in the room, but I want to be in the room asking the right questions and then have that willingness to take those right questions and put them to work. Mm. And, and I think you're right. The majority of people don't put them to work. Um, in fact, I think Darren Hardy says, you know, you've got to find the go-getters. You can have the greatest solution in the world, but only, you know, 2%, maybe 5% are going to actually apply them and do something mm. different in their life. And so helping people get into that 2 to 5%, <laughs> helping people to see that it's okay over here, right? Mm. Great things happen when you can design your life and business and you're intentional about it mm. rather than being stuck in this journey or path of doing a job you can't stand stuck in somebody else's schedule and somebody else's world basically <laughs> you know and, and that's right. a choice right there are people that love that choice and they feel great about it but there's others that want more freedom and they want they want the ability to buy the boat and go wakeboarding whenever the whenever they want mm -hmm. and take their kids you know on the water and whew, don't have as much right or living for that weekend versus living for life mm -hmm. um, and i think more people just need to hear that it's possible and more people need to believe that ah, I can make a couple changes in my life. If I just take use, talk about it right at the beginning, take responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Well put Robert. <laughs> All right, Chris, what inspires you? So there's many things that inspire me. Um, so I told you I'm an outdoors person. So the beauty of nature greatly inspires me. And in a different, I'm gonna talk about inspiration in different ways, right? Cause you can be inspired in different ways, but that feeling, that beauty of nature and many different situations, sunrise, sunset, whatever it is, um, to me is is awe inspiring okay um i'm also inspired in a different way um by people like you people in the rooms people that um kind of gone before me i'm inspired i think more in like a faith sensed way there so it's like oh well they did it so I can do it too. So that's kind of a different inspiration. Um, 
I had another one that I was thinking about for inspiration. I lost my train of thought. There was a third one. <laughs> but it's kind of like the mentorship, right? There's like, there's mentors for a reason. Like, I don't think there's just one mentor. So there's different types of inspiration. I guess the most important thing, I'm not going to answer the question. I'm going to end with this, not answering the question at all. That's super lawyer style. The more important thing is not what inspires you. It's that you do things that actually inspire you. Mm, That's a pretty good answer for not answering. (laughs) (laughs) All right. What's your big dream, Chris? My big dream is, is to leave a legacy for my family. Legacy is very important for me. Um, legacy is not just monetary. Um, it does have a monetary component, but I also want to um, put them in a better place than, you know, perhaps I was when I was a kid, you know, a better relationship with their father or their mother, all that good stuff. Um, I want I want to leave a legacy and I want to enjoy life and be happy as much as I possibly can. All right, you're bringing on a new lawyer. They're they're going to be part of the team and 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 building their entrepreneurial side hustles and and all those things. And you've just had coffee with them for an hour, and you want to leave them with Chris's words of wisdom. What would you share? Man, this one's probably not the best, but look, I'm going to be honest. Okay, so this isn't the sexiest thing, but I tell my lawyers this more than anything else. If I'm going to talk about the practice of law. It's not about how smart you are or like how good you practice law, like the actual like high level thinking arguments and all that stuff, because the person that masters the nuts and bolts of practicing law can run circles around the Harvard graduate, the Supreme Court justice, the person that thinks it's all about the high level thinking and like being smart and stuff. And so what's the nuts and bolts of practicing law? And this applies to everyone. It's the super, super simple stuff that a lot of people don't do, like returning phone calls, emails, texts in a timely manner, like doing what you say you're going to do. If you tell the client you're going to get something done by a certain time, you always get it done by a certain time. It's by showing up on time, ending the meeting on time. It's super simple, like practice management things, operational type stuff that if you can master that, you can be better than the people that are smarter than you. It just doesn't even matter because a lot of those people, they can't do that. They, they, they don't know the nuts and bolts of law or they just think they don't need to know it. Chris, that's fantastic. What a great answer. Thank you so much for joining me today. I appreciate you hanging out and sharing with me. And I've just had a wonderful time and learned a lot and had some cool examples that, that you shared. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me, Robert. Appreciate it. If you enjoyed the show, please like, subscribe, or leave a review. We have a free gift for you at addvaluemindset.com. That's addvaluemindset.com. We've collected some of the best mindset secrets shared by successful entrepreneurs on our podcast, and we want to give them to you for free. addvaluemindset.com. In our next episode... Samantha Stewart and Robert talk about the transition from corporate to entrepreneurship. We share some synergy in the value of self-care and giving yourself permission to rest.
It's important to recognize that growth comes in discomfort and when facing challenges, to lean into them. Many of the great and beautiful things in our world are created under pressure.